Okay, so uh, we are, um, I guess, listening, even participating in a week-long seminar called uh, Emptiness and the Mind Perceiving It with Dr. J. Garfield. Dr. J. L. Garfield, because I don't know if there's another Dr. J. Garfield, at Shravasti Abbey. Um, and what he's talking about is Yogacara, Yogacara, Yogacharya, um, Madhyamaka um, as well. He's talking about the Shunyata doctrine. So, I mean, what I want to get into is what he's talking about right now. And he's talking about a metaphor of an elephant in a room, an imagined elephant. And I was just rewinding to go over and use an example that me and the wife actually lived firsthand. An example that I thought um, highlighted the other dependent nature. That's pretty much what he spent a lot of time on this. So what he's used before this elephant, he's used the apple as example. So he would say, we imbue in an apple all of this additional um, uh, substantiality that is imagined. Okay? And the way I explain that is, he's not wrong, but it's just the way he explains it is kind of seems to be a little awkward to me. The apple is only imbued in the, with these special characteristics, in a sense, if we see it dualistically. Ooh, what's that mean? Dualistically simply means, do you see as an, an apple as the product of a tree growing, producing this fruit? Is it uh, made up of its constituent parts of water and fiber and all that different uh, jazz, or do you see an apple as some sort of a mystical, and, and it can be applied, right? Because you see it a lot in any sort of belief system, in any sort of, um, and, and almost any system, that you might possibly um, raise something up uh, above its, uh, its station, right? Um, so in this case, if you think an apple is extra special, as the example, could also be, well, yes, uh, I'm following this particular belief system because it has power over any other. In this case, what we're talking about is that same idea. So the two types of dependent arising or dependent nature. So first is you see what you want to see. He'll go on and I'll record. He'll go on and talk about how... Um, uh, we live, and he gave an example earlier on, I apologize, this is the third or fourth or fifth or sixth um, uh, session. Earlier on, he, he was talking about how um, uh, he quoted somebody, I can't remember who, uh, just that, you know, we're living this fantasy that we call reality, right? So that's the idea. He used the apple as an example. We place this apple as this magical thing, this object that gets created when we really should just see it as, you know, water and fiber and a tree produced it from the sun and the air and, you know, as simple as that. So now he's going to go on and talk about um, the two dependent uh, origination um, and, and he'll explain that, right? So there's first, um, we see it one way when we're living dualistically, then there still is a second type of... Um, uh, dependent uh, arising type view. And he's going to go on and explain this. Uh, but what he's going to explain once again is how we create within our own universe um, something that doesn't exist, but yet we believe 
it exists. He's going to talk about, uh, and, and I guess it's a famous example, I'm not familiar with it, but that this elephant appears in the room. So your mind creates the elephant, and the elephant appears, it appears real to you. It seems kind of odd. And he goes on, and earlier on, or he goes on and explains that the reason why they talk about visual perception, because it would be hard to talk about, say, an olfactory hallucination or an auditory hallucination, right? Because it's not uncommon you'll have an auditory uh, uh, affect, whatever, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, you can have these weird... Uh, so he didn't explain it as well as I would uh, have liked. He didn't just simply say that um, our minds are much more apt to accept a vis um, an auditory uh, hallucination uh, as real uh, versus visual. And an example I would give is look at how long it has taken. Arguably, they haven't even succeeded yet. Look how long it has taken for computer-generated uh, graphics to be able to fool the human eye. Okay, so what he's saying is the mind creates this this, this uh, object that we perceive as an external object, and in this case, he's going to go on and talk about the elephant. I posit a better example is what we ran into. So, <clears throat> when I make my tea, and it's kind of funny, circular, I make my tea in the gung fu style. So I heat up my mug, and with the tea wash. So I wash the tea leaves. I pour that off into my mug um, to warm up the mug. Uh, and then um, pour it off. Just dump the tea wash because the, uh, the the saying is the first wash of tea is for your enemy, right? And they say the second wash is for your spouse and the third wash is for you, but neither here nor there. <clears throat> so the first wash you dump. So I dumped the first wash of the tea out, leaving a mug that was steaming. Now, of course, perceptually, the wife looked at this and asked whether the mug needed to be emptied. It's the epitome of an example of this dual nature of dualistic, uh, not dualistic, dependent arising. So she saw the mug, saw the steam coming off the mug. There is, there is no liquid in the mug, but based on seeing the steam, the steam was not a mug full of hot water, and yet the mind still perceives a mug full of hot water. And that's what he's going to go on and speak to here. And, and I argue that he may have made a major mistake because this whole idea here <clears throat> is our external objects or percepts, as he says, right? So these objects of perception, um, these percepts that we have are manifestations of the mind itself. And this is exactly what we're talking about. Yogacara. It's a mind-only school. This is the heart of Yogacara that the idea is we perceive the universe secondhand. And he goes on to explain this, that, you know, it doesn't, I don't know, you'll see whether you agree with me, whether he explains it in such a way as to be simple as, um, we don't perceive our own universe firsthand. Our eyes tell us what they see. We extrapolate from that. Volition, even, right? We also apply that same volition to our external experience, as exampled by uh, prejudice, um, you know, bias, you know, that sort of idea. Or as extreme as what he's going to give an example is imagining some elephant in the room. The imagined nature is the elephant. 
I'm going to pause right there because people screw this one up so badly and so easily when they read this text, and it's a very subtle and important point. Um, some people say, oh yeah, the elephant, that stands for external objects. No. And you think that because the elephant is experienced as an external object and because we represent objects as external in the imagined nature. But remember what the imagined nature is here. The imagined nature is subject-object duality. The imagined nature is the properties of a thing being out there in the object rather than us. So the elephant here is not standing for external objects like cups and other elephants. The elephant here is standing for the imagined nature of the subject-object duality. So the idea is that when the magician, that is your mind, says Shazam or Abracadabra or whatever it is, um, you see subject-object duality every place. Um, and that is completely non-existent like the elephant, but its appearance is real. So very much focus on that. There's a okay, so again, I might be nitpicking on words here, but that's what I would pick to knit or knit to pick right so he says the appearance is real the real is absolute it's not real it's not that's the whole point of this but he may have misspoke the appearance is perceived as real thus why he's chosen to use the word percept as opposed to object right but again th these mistakes happen and not everyone is is, is always, and it seems that the ladies uh, who are receiving this um, uh, talk <clears throat> uh, are not really interested in, in uh, challenging him per se. But, anyways, let's continue on. There's a subtle point and a really interesting point about the analogy. The other dependent nature is the visual percept. That's the perception of the elephant. The elephant is a perceptual object. So again, notice that in the magic show, in the magic show, the, perce the, the percept is real. That appears. But it appears as con conditioned or as, as being uh, dualistically related to me as subject and object. The dependent nature appears as the imagined. So my percept appears as a real elephant. Notice again, what makes the magic show a really great um, experience is the, that it's a deception, right? We go to magic shows to be deceived. If they weren't going to deceive... All right, from here, he's going to go on and make jokes about, like I referenced, about, you know, having uh, uh, <clears throat> auditory hallucinations are not the same as a visual hallucination, and it just happens to be, you know, because we're people. But... Um, yeah, sorry, there you go. Um, so once again, he said it a second time. He said your, your percept or your perception, uh, again, that's why he uses percept, because it's not the actual reality of it. It's your perception of that reality, meaning jaded to some degree. But once again, he says that percept of the elephant is real. No, once again, that's not what they're saying. They're saying that we um, create this percept 
and perceive it as real. I know it's a minor, minor, minor little thing, but it is everything that he's trying to explain here, which is Yogacara. Yogacara is speaking to, and it's it really is truly not the most confusing, as he said about this uh, uh, explaining. The real thing is, is he's having the problem explaining it. It's perceived as real, <clears throat> right? So again, let's see. So my percept appears as a real elephant. Notice again. A percept appears as a real elephant. It, it's better, but I wouldn't use real, right? I would simply say that that percept... Okay, and when he says percepts, he's speaking of the entire manifestation, right? The thought process, the belief in such, and the manifestation or perception of what we perceive to be a real elephant in the room. That's what we're talking about with Yogacara, right? Like I said, when you see a mug steaming, you perceive it as full of a hot beverage. Whether you see the beverage or not, this is what we're talking about, right? It's really, truly what we're talking about because upon further inspection, which is often discussed, those artificial truths melt away, which is also common. So this is what we're talking about. They're perceived as real, either from ignorance or laziness or what we're talking about here, your volition, your perception, your misperception, your misconceptions, your bias, uh, your biases. I'm not really sure which. Um, but your duality, your subject-object duality. That's what he started with. The subject-object duality is exactly that, right? When you perceive a percept, as he likes to say, meaning nothing but a thought, no finite definition, when you perceive that as real, that's exactly what we're talking about. Your subject-object duality has um, broken down because your duality has gotten in the way, right? So that's what we're talking about here. So there's two levels of this dependent arising or this duality or this perception, and he's trying to explain this, right? So, I mean, arguably there might even be three. Can I posit that there's three levels then? So he speaks to your first level where you perceive that elephant as real, okay? Next level is you perceive that elephant as the, the, um, the manifestation of your own mind. Right? So you no longer believe it is real. You see it for the manifestation uh, that it is. But again, the mind is still creating that. Okay? Maybe the third, arguably the third, the superposition that's always there, right? Uh, the Tathagatagarbha, the, the Buddha nature that we're always talking about, this enlightenment, this uh, wisdom, the uh, dhyana, the chana, right? This clear light vision as the Tibetans like to call it. <clears throat> this understanding, and it goes back to shunyata, that is the awakening that we're talking about. And I like to say even as yet another, um, uh, it's not, uh, I'm not the only person that believes this, but uh, I'm among the few, that um, this again goes back to shunyata, emptiness doctrine. I prefer to consider it the oneness doctrine, right? So if you understand what I mean by this. So... Okay, so yeah, let's go on. What makes the magic show 
a really great um, experience is the, that it's a deception. Right? We go to magic shows to be deceived. If they weren't going to deceive us, we wouldn't be interested. Um, and we're entertained by the deception. We come to the magic show of reality to be deceived as well. Uh, okay, so that's exactly what I'm getting at here. So this entire conference is talking about the three states, right? Um, the before awakening, uh, a deeper understanding, and then, you know, a complete awakening. I'm oversimplifying that. I apologize. But the idea here is um, that we come to reality to be de deceived. I mean, I actually kind of like the way you said that. At first, I'm thinking, well, because there's a number of levels here. So there's the existence that we all live together in this agreed-upon delusion. Whether you delude yourself completely, wholly, or partially, or even not at all. Does that still mean we all exist within this same samsara, as they say, this existence? So we can still exist together. It's whether you buy in wholly or uh, you understand completely. Right? Um, that might not be something that we think about, but Yogacara is kind of asking us to recognize that. We love this world of deception with its subject-object duality and all of its wonderful properties. When we look at that other wonderful metaphor, that ethical metaphor, that samsara is like licking honey from a sword, um, don't anybody ever tell you that we don't want that honey, right? Um, you see that honey and you just stick your tongue right out. Um, or at least I do. Um, you know, we say that and we say, oh, life is good, right? People, you, you realize how many times you hear people say that? Life is good. And as my friend Graham says, we should call that the first noble falsehood. Um, and, and actually, you can do it with, you know, you can keep going with that. Um, life is good, that's the first noble falsehood. Do you know what the second noble falsehood is? It's on bumper stickers every place. Shit happens, right? Things just happen with no cause, right? That's the second noble falsehood. Um, <laughs> yeah. We laugh, but, I mean, he just made my point. So my, my argument is this. Okay? Uh, Shinyata speaks to, not emptiness, but speaks to oneness. What is that oneness? It speaks to this dependent arising, exactly like what he's saying. Shit doesn't just happen. There's a cause to it, right? And what was that other one that he said was uh, that should be, right? Life is good? No. That's what I'm talking about, right? So arguably, it's not like we transmute to another plane. It's simply understanding that life at its core is dissatisfying. Um, there is a solution to that, right? To minimize your ego-based desire. Why? Why? Because your ego creates this diluted pseudo-reality, right? Your ego is the one that tries to convince you that 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 elephant is real. Again, like he's, uh, Dr. Garfield's gone and spent a lot of time to explain. Um, and as, as Buddhism speaks a lot of, and as Hinduism speaks with, uh, with the Atman and, and Brahman nature, and the Buddhism with uh, Tathagatagarbha, your, your pre-existing understanding of the real way that this stuff works, and yet you're still playing this weird little part. So it goes back to the steam in the cup, right? There is no reason for you to believe that steam coming from a cup means it is full of a warm beverage, but we make that assumption. 
right? It's the same idea as the ego deludes us into believing what isn't real is real. And what we want to see, and I mean, it's, right? Oh, sorry. And what I meant to say was, and that's what I mean by the oneness. Um, the idea isn't that there's different states. So there isn't the state of being deluded, the state of having awakening, and then there's the state of being completely awakened, right? Uh, it's just, it's gradients. It's like the yin and yang. It's not black and white. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about shades of gray. So we're talking about that you go from not understanding that your mind's convincing you to believe that that elephant's really in the room or that mug is full of hot beverage just because of the steam. You go to the point of realizing, well, just because steam's coming from that mug doesn't mean the mug has a warm beverage in it. To eventually understanding that we are all part of one little, I don't know, it's really tough to explain that oneness thing, right? It goes as simple to understand that what makes you, your little conglomerate of your arms, your legs, and 80% bag of water, what makes you feel any different than the bag of water that's, you know, floating out in the lake? I mean, or arguably, do you not see the oneness that uh, we all hold, right? Because that drop of water within you belonged to everyone else at one time as well. Uh, but as simply as that oneness, you know, you can convolute it by understanding where yoga car is coming, but that's not what they mean. I mean, they don't mean you create the universe yourself. I mean, in a sense you do, but they're talking about this. They're talking about these two states, right? They're talking about universe is essentially dissatisfying and, and we create that ourselves by one, believing that hey, life is good. Yeah, that's deluding. Delusional. That's why we say uh, treat triumph and disaster as the imposters. Uh, they both are, right? Because good inevitably ends, which brings suffering. Suffering inevitably ends brings, um, brings actually, think about it. When you get a cramp and that cramp ends, it actually feels pretty darn good, right? So the same idea, right? Uh, so here's this dualistic uh, idea, even uh, being applied to an explanation of our dualistic thinking. Right, so it's not that the 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 elephant's ever real. The only thing that changes is our thought process surrounding these exact same thoughts. Right, uh, and the same goes with uh, right shit happens, and that's exactly where our problem lies because we believe that shit just happens without a cause, and it goes back to the apple or the steam from the mug. Just because there's steam coming from the mug doesn't mean there's a hot beverage in there. Right, just because you know being positive isn't necessarily going to change your lot, but at the same time, you know negativity might, might, right? But neither here nor there. The whole question was: Is it real? Isn't it real? Yogacara. Uh, it's really, and they always miss this: the most convoluted uh, discussion is whether the stuff exists. It, mind only school, right? So it's taken me years to try to get a grasp on this. It's not mind only because nothing exists. It's mind only because mind's the only thing that matters, right? It's your relation to your mind. Your mind is not your guide or... Um, 
the driver of your your herd of horses, uh, your mind is is just a tool, a upaya, upaya, another means to an end. What is that end? It's to realize that we, just like I said, um, we apply to everything this artificial set of we consider truths that aren't true. The first is, what makes us us? One of the toughest questions in psychology is to get a psychologist to explain what and where the root of self is, right? What makes you you, you know? And that's where this all comes down to. Um, we, we construct for ourselves this identity. No differently than when we look at an empty mug uh, and assume it has a warm beverage because of the steam. Or we see an apple and think that somehow, magically, that water in the apple is different than the water in us or the water in the lake. Right? Or we somehow have a relationship other than that elephant in the room is purely perception. Even if it really is real, we don't see that firsthand. Our eyes, again, more tools to liberation. Our eyes are actually what see the elephant. So once again, the mind-only idea of Yogacara doesn't speak to that the mind doesn't exist. It's just yet another tool, right? You, you can't say the eyes don't exist. So you can't say what the eyes perceive don't exist. You could, I guess, but it just seems a little odd. Like, why would we have eyes if there's nothing to see? So once again, it just goes back to the simple thought that it's not mind only, same as, you know, you subdue your ego, not kill it. I mean, you know, it's like, I've, you know, the, the joke goes is I desire 